Welcome to the Management Insights Podcast Series hosted by McGraw-Hill Education. My name is Debbie Clare, Executive Marketing Manager for our Management Portfolio. Today's topic, the importance of data analytics in management. Our guest, Jason Colquitt. Nice to have you. Nice to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I got my PhD in organizational behavior from Michigan State. Uh, I taught at University of Florida uh, for 12 years, and I've been at University of Georgia for uh, almost eight years. Excellent. So let's dig in. Analytics is a big buzzword in management. What does that term really mean? Well, so at its, at its general level, analytics is the use of numbers and data uh, to make decisions, as opposed to kind of hunches and instincts and just kind of your general sense of something. So whenever an organization collects data and uses that data uh, to make decisions, they're doing analytics. Uh, now, a lot of people use that word in a much more complex way, uh, but I think in the terms of organizational behavior, it's really, we want to make decisions about whether to hire somebody, uh, how to keep people, how to improve our turnover rates, how to improve job performance. We collect data to make those decisions. We're doing analytics. And how did this increasing emphasis on analytics really come about? Well, so it really started in sports. If you go back to the 1970s and 1980s, uh, baseball fans started collecting more and more data to try to figure out how to score more runs. Uh, And this kind of bled into popular culture in terms of things like fantasy baseball, uh, in terms of things like uh, the Moneyball book and the Moneyball movies. Uh, Other sports uh, kind of jumped on this bandwagon, the NBA, for example. And so slowly over the course of time, this notion of statistics uh, and data and analytics kind of bled into popular consciousness. Uh, then these folks are all started working, uh, started working as managers, started owning their own businesses, and they grew up in a generation where, why wouldn't you use data uh, to make decisions? That's what my, the general manager of my baseball team does, and so I will as well. Uh, and so it's kind of crossed over, over into business with that kind of popular culture, sports foundation uh, kind of in place. And how do you actually apply data analytics in your organizational behavior course on campus with your students? Well, so the way I teach organizational behavior, I really focus on two kind of important topics. One is job performance. How can we get employees to perform their jobs better? Uh, And one is organizational commitment. How can we get employees to stay at their organization longer? How can you lower organizational retention rates? Well, it turns out that you have a lot of data on both of those things. Uh, you, you evaluate your managers, or managers evaluate their employees' job performance every year. So there's an archive with years and years and years of performance data. Uh, managers also track turnover rates. So we have years and years and years of turnover data. Uh, and so for my class, the question is, what things can we gather data on that can predict performance and commitment? We have an entire scientific literature on organizational behavior that gives us those answers. Uh, that gives us things like job satisfaction, uh, trust, leadership, personality, things that we can use assessments to gather data on, uh, surveys to gather data on. And so science has been doing analytics for 100 years. Uh, Businesses have been doing analytics for about 10 years. Uh, And so an OB course is a good place to kind of marriage the science to the practice. And what you have to do is get students themselves to really view an organizational behavior class as not quite as soft of a class as they expected. Uh, it's got a little bit more numbers in it. It's not quite as numbers heavy as finance, uh, but it's more numbers heavy than they might have thought coming in. Uh, 
Uh, and so in my class, we talk about data a lot. We talk about correlation coefficients a lot. Uh, we even talk about things like regression a little bit. Uh, but they're, ta- they're constantly taught how to measure stuff, mostly with surveys and archival sources. They're constantly taught how to look at a spreadsheet of numbers and correlate two columns. And they're constantly thought to think in terms of analytics, like what are the numbers, what do the data say? Meaning is the most important part of analyzing that data. What type of activities in class do you give from, you know, in class to your assignments uh, in order to help students demonstrate the use of analytics? Well, so there's a couple of things that, that I do. One is a semester-long research project. Uh, where they choose either performance or commitment as something to gather data on. Uh, And then they have to find three independent variables, three predictors of those things to gather data on. Uh, And then we go through Microsoft Excel. We put the data into Excel. They're they're asked to gather data on 30 employees. So it's a a reasonable sample size to show how this stuff works. Obviously, a a research study would be a lot more than that. And an organizational intervention would be a lot more than that, but they can see kind of the, the mechanics of the process with 30 people. And then we sit down in class, uh, they have their laptops, their spreadsheets up, uh, and we analyze the data together. Uh, I also give them some data of my own uh, to kind of show what data an actual organization looks like. Uh, we talk through kind of the things that organizations get wrong with analytics, uh, which is mostly is something like this. There's this one person over here who has data on job performance, we have this other person all the way over here who has data on turnover. They don't know each other. Those data are never put together. We have a third person all the way over there that has data on selection and screening. So things like interviews and personality data, that data is never merged with the other kinds of data. Just talk about how you have to really kind of put all this data together under one roof and in a charge of one person. Uh, and once you do that, the analyses are actually quite interesting uh, and, and quite, in, quite simple. A correlation coefficient is easy to do. It's, it's one line uh, of Excel syntax. Uh, and a lot of our, the, the textbook that, that I use, my, my textbook, talks about correlation coefficients a lot. It talks about them as kind of the, the way of summarizing how strong two things are related to each other. So rather than saying, yes, job satisfaction improves performance, you say, well, job satisfaction improves performance with a moderate correlation between the two or a strong correlation between the two. And so students start to get a sense of, of the math that underlies all of this. Now, do you worry that things can get maybe too complicated for students? As you had mentioned earlier, you know, this is an OB course. It's not a statistics class. Yeah, that's why I say that I, I do a lot of correlations and I do a little bit of regression. So we use regression when we have not one thing that predicts job performance, but five things. And five things are all kind of related themselves. And so what regression does is it shows, okay, what are the unique effects of these five things? Uh, and, re- and regression is not all that complicated, but when you start running things like that, and you start to stretch the boundaries of what Excel can do. Uh, and you lose, let's say, 40 students in the class. You might lose 10 of them uh, who just don't have, be- uh, by the nature of the classes they've already taken, uh, the foundation for that. Uh, I also... Uh, I'm very sure never to go beyond Excel. Um, there are other other software packages that you could use for this sort of thing, uh, including something like R, which is a publicly available free stats package. Uh, I think I think things like that begin to stretch the students too much. They use Excel in other classes, uh, especially in a business school. They're very comfortable in it. They're as comfortable in it as I am. Uh, and so I think that's the way that you kind of walk up to the edge of the envelope 
but don't really push on it too much. Well, I know a lot of your peers are interested in hearing some of your stories of examples you use in the classroom. Can you give us a few model companies you showcase with your students uh, that really are doing good uh, data analytics? Yeah, there's two companies that really stand out, and it's kind of not surprising who they are when you think about it. It's, uh, it's Google and it's IBM. And so why are they good at it? Well, because they've made their money analyzing data and managing data. Uh, Google deals with more data than any company on earth. Uh, Google also uh, employs PhDs and engineers. These are people who, by their very nature, are data-attuned uh, and data-focused. Uh, and so if you read about Google's HR, if you read about uh, Google's kind of personnel systems and the way they manage the people, data is at the corner, core of everything they do. Uh, if they decide we're going we're gonna to keep the, the hours of our daycare open two extra hours a day for our employees, that's a database decision. Uh, if they say we're going to replace this interview question that focuses on uh, conscientiousness with this interview question that focuses on creativity, they're going to do the before and after numbers of how that interview works uh, using data. Uh, what's nice about Google relative to IBM as an example, they're very transparent about what they do. Uh, a lot of companies are very uh, secretive about their OB practices. They believe that their employees are the secret sauce of what they do. So understandably, they don't really like Business Week or Fortune to write about the inner workings of, the, of their people systems. They want to uh, maintain their competitive advantage and not give away their secrets, That's right? That's absolutely right. Google, Google does not stay secretive, partly because Google wants to maximize the number of recruits they get. And they know that every article written about how cool their management is gives them 10 more undergrads that want to work there. And so they've made a different tactical decision. But what's nice is you can read books written by Google employees and Google managers. And they'll like, here's our interview questions. Here's how they correlate with job performance. Here's what we do with these data. And if you want to manage your people like this too, you can. That's great. Now, before we close our time together, I know this has been really great so far. Do you have any like final thoughts or additional tips you would offer your peers? I do. I think it's, uh, it, it's very common for people that do this job, uh, if, they have a, if they have a research component to their job, that they separate the research part of their lives over here and the teaching part of their lives over here. What's nice about this movement towards analytics is it really brings those two sides of their lives together. Uh, analytics basically begs you to take your research knowledge and your research philosophies and, and employ them in the, in, in the classroom. And, and I think that's to the good. It makes everything that you do more scientifically driven, which is better for the students because it's, it's closer to the truth of what we know. Uh, it also gets you talking about the work that you do in the other realm of your life. And then students start to see professors as something other than teachers, as they really are thought leaders, they're knowledge creators, and that gives them a better appreciation of what's going on uh, in the classroom. Well, thank you for sharing your experience and your advice today. To our listeners, check back for future topics and spread the word to your colleagues about our podcast series. Why? Because learning changes everything. Everything.